Chapter eighteen of William an Englishman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. William an Englishman by Cicely Hamilton. Chapter eighteen. The war was well past its third anniversary when William again met Edith Haynes the silence once broken between them they had corresponded with a fair regularity and leave being due to him he wrote to ask if he should be likely to meet her in london receiving an answer a hearty invitation to pass as much of his leave as he could spare the whole of it if he would with her mother and herself in somerset the reply was an eager acceptance hitherto his leave if a respite from the office had been dreary enough in comparison with the homecomings of other men it was the suspicion of the loneliness in which it was usually passed that had prompted edith's invitation she met him at the station and drove him home and they picked up their odd friendship at the point where they had left it off the only other member of the family with whom he made acquaintance was a delicate pale mother given since her firstborn was killed at thiepval to long silences and lonely brooding a younger son had been a prisoner since the surrender at Coote, and edith ran her mother as well as the house and the estate she looked older and by more than the passing of three years the iron of war had entered into her soul for the brother killed in france had been her darling as well as her mother's but in other ways she was just what william remembered her a kindly and capable good comrade the delicate pale mother kept much to her room and the pair in consequence were left often to each other's company sometimes tramping the home farm with edith bent on bailiff's duties sometimes sitting by the evening fire for the first day or two he was not communicative engrossed perhaps in mere pleasure in his new surroundings but even through the stiffness and restraint of his letters she had guessed at something of the change that had come over him and when he showed signs of emerging from his shell she took pains on her side to draw him out and discover his attitude of mind by degrees from his silences as much as from his speech she learned of the weariness that had settled like a mist on his soul the aimlessness with which he plodded the pathway of his disciplined life she knew him for a man disillusioned in whom the imaginings of his pre-soldier days had died as completely as his faith in his pre-war creed had the lot fallen to him he would not have shrunk from his turn in the trenches and at the bottom of his heart for griselda's sake there was always a smoulder of hatred but he had seen much of the war machine had realized keenly his own unimportance therein and he blushed when he remembered that he had once imagined that his one small arm and his private vengeance might be factors and important factors in the downfall of the german empire and the first mad impulse of agony the impulse which would have sent him into battle single-handed had passed as it was bound to pass if she suspected him at first of a drift towards his former pacifism she soon discovered her mistake the one rock on which he stood fast was that conviction of error which had come to him in the forest of arden he hated the war as it affected himself was weary of the war in general all he longed for was its ending which meant his release from imprisonment but neither hatred nor weariness had blinded his eyes to the folly of that other blindness which had denied that war could be his contempt for his past dreams of a field marshal's baton 
was as nothing to his contempt for those further past dreams wherein fact was dispelled by a theory and he had in his own words no use for a pacifist party which had never as he had made confession of its fundamental error he was still in his heart a soldier even though a soldier disillusioned his weariness of the military machine his personal grievance against it were not to be compared to the fiery conversion that had followed on the outbreak of war the one concerned matters of detail only the other his fundamental faith so much edith haynes understood from their intimate fragmentary talks one change in himself he had not noticed till edith half jestingly spoke of it an affection that was almost a tenderness for the actual soil of england more than once when he walked with her he contrasted the road or the landscape with those grown familiar in france and the contrast was always in favour of the somerset hills or the winding somerset highway without ties as he was without household without family she saw that he shrank from the idea of again leaving home what shall you do when the war is over she asked him one evening as his leave neared its end curious to know how he had planned to spend his arrested life so far he had spoken of no future beyond the end of the war itself and when she put to him the question direct he only shook his head vaguely i don't know it may seem odd to you but i haven't thought much about it in fact he smiled apologetically i don't believe i've really thought at all no i don't think it odd she told him there are a good many like you i'm inclined to think that you're only one of the majority people whose business it is to reorganize industry i suppose they're thinking ahead one prays they are but as for the rest of us it's difficult to think ahead because of the way it has broken up our lives and our plans we've got used to its breaking them up that's it he nodded back we've been made to do things for so long taken and made to do them some have been taken and killed and some have been taken and crushed and some have only been made prisoners like me but we've all of us been taken and bent and twisted into things we never meant to be so we don't plan what's the use i might of course i'm not like the men in the trenches who may be killed any minute i'm safe enough where i am safer than in london but all the same i don't i just wait to see what happens for a week before william left england there had been expectation of coming developments at the front and the papers had spoken of considerable aerial activity on the enemy's side as on ours the developments commenced in earnest on the day of his return from leave but his first personal experience of the increase in aerial activity was not for a few days later when as he was passing through the square in the centre of the town a gun thudded out and then another he stopped and made one of a little knot of khaki that was staring up into the blue and whereof one of the component parts was a corporal who worked in his office he himself could see nothing but a drift or two of smoke but he gathered from the sharper sighted corporal that there were two fritz planes overhead and he stood cricking his neck and blinking upwards in the strong sunlight while passers-by made groups on the pavement and shopkeepers issued from their doors he had seen the same thing happen before and quite harmlessly no one around him seemed alarmed or disturbed and in a few minutes the guns ceased firing as the aeroplanes passed out of range photographing said the corporal as they walked away to the office he's been over quite a lot the last week or two and some time or other i suppose we shall have him in earnest it's a wonder to me he's left us alone so long it'd be worth his while coming even if he didn't do more than drop a bomb or two on the a h t d and start a few hundred horses 
yes agreed william i suppose it would he was not in the least alarmed as he settled down to his files since he joined the army he had never been exposed to danger and security had become with him a habit that night there was a heavy post and the office was kept working late it was close on eleven when william was called upstairs to take down some letters from dictation the officer who had sent for him was clearing his throat for the first sentence when the door opened for the announcement local aircraft alarm sir oh all right said the officer resignedly go downstairs tully and come up again when the lights go on probably only a false alarm we had two the other night just the sort of thing that would happen when we're behindhand he went out grumbling and william followed him feeling his way by the banisters for the electric light was turned off while he was still on the upper landing other men from all over the warren of a building were descending likewise and they bumped and jostled each other in the sudden darkness on the stairs there were jests as they bumped and much creaking of boots through which while william was still a flight from the ground floor came the first rapid thudding of archie on it a moment later an unmistakable bomb and the pattering outburst of machine-guns william listened curiously it was his first experience of an air-raid and though the pace of his heart quickened as yet there was no real fear in him but a man pressed against him by the descending stream gasped audibly and clawed round william's arm with his fingers the action was fear made manifest in darkness and william instinctively knowing it infectious repelled it and strove to free his wrist but the shaking fingers eloquent of terror only clung more tightly to their hold what is it william snapped what's the matter it's me right a voice whispered back in jerks i can't help it the lord knows i try but i can't if it was shells i could stand em but a nearby gun beat down his voice but did not stop it at dunkirk i was buried two hours two mortal hours before they got me out and when i was in hospital he came over and bombed us again he got one right on to us and i was blown out of bed and the men at the other end of the ward were in pieces in pieces i tell you beastly bits of flesh william tried to stand it realizing that the man must cling and gibber to someone as a child clings and wails to its nurse they had turned into a room on the ground floor there were no cellars but it was esteemed the safest place in the building by reason of the comparative absence of glass and the pair of them stood backs against the wall when wright stopped talking which was not often william could hear his breath as it came whining through his teeth and he remembered that the man wore the ribbon of the d c m a man who had once had nerve and to all appearance was sound but who had not sufficient hold on himself to keep his terror from his tongue he spoke of it unceasingly whenever the sounds without died down william could hear him whispering now of the night when he was bombed in hospital and now of the building they were in it was no good as a shelter would crumble like a house of cards nothing was any good but a cellar or trenches there should have been trenches and they were so damnably close to the station and the station was just what those devils were trying to hit there came a moment when william could bear it no more and wrenched himself free of the clawing fingers on his sleeve he dared not feel them longer lest his heart also melted within him his nervousness took the form of a difficulty in keeping still and he fidgeted about the darkened room but the room was fairly full and he could not move far after a step or two this way and a step or two that he was brought up by a solid group that stretched from the wall to a table he came to a standstill on the edge of the group and tried to listen to their talk forced himself to listen to it 
and all the time straining his ears through the murmur for the droning of the gotha engines he fought with himself and fought more manfully than he knew striving to thrust out of his mind wright's phrase about the beastly bits of flesh and to fasten his hearing to the exclusion of all else on the voice of a man his neighbour in the darkness who had lately seen a german aeroplane brought down and having apparently some mechanical knowledge was describing its points and its engines they the engines were first-rate he said waxing technical but even if he had not been told it he should have guessed from the fittings of the plane that jerry was getting a bit scarce in his stock of rubber and leather what he was using here the windows rattled loudly and drowned him well that's pretty close someone commented and william moved a restless step away once it had seemed to him an easy thing to follow griselda and die now all the moral strength he possessed went into the effort not to shrink to be master of his body to behave decently and endure that was all that seemed to matter to be steady and behave decently so that for all his fear of instant death he never turned his thoughts to god he had not known how beautiful silence could be till it came almost suddenly like a flood of clear cool water when someone muttering that it seemed to be over opened the door and went out into the courtyard he followed and stood there feeling the silence as something clean exquisite and grateful his hands were wet and hot and he stretched them out to the air if he had not prayed when he was under the spell of fear his heart at his release from it was filled with something like praise listen said a voice in his ear it was right his face uplifted in the moonlight and disfigured by ugly twitchings listen he said they're coming back william shrank from him irritably but the man had not spoken particularly to him and having spoken turned swiftly and went back into the house he had been the first to catch the double-noted drone which as they stood and listened grew nearer that's him sure enough another voice agreed coming up in relays he'll be out to make a night of it i thought we'd got rid of him too quickly a searchlight wheeled and the anti-aircraft spoke on the word someone cried got him and pointed and for an instant william had sight of a wicked thing caught in the ray and rushing upwards battery and machine-gun gave tongue at the sight but in a flash the climbing devil had vanished and the searchlight wheeled after it fruitlessly as they stood and watched it wheeling a voice called come in men and they went back perforce within their walls the first attack had lasted not much over half an hour this time the ordeal by darkness and waiting was longer william held himself tightly ashamed of the weakness with which wright had infected him and keeping it doggedly at bay he talked when he could think of anything to talk about odd irrelevant fragments of whatever came into his head anything to keep himself from listening at one time he made a conscious and determined effort to turn his talk and his mind with it to something unconnected with air raids but always his speech like that of his companions came back to the thought of the moment do you remember he asked the man beside him what a fuss there was about the first channel flight i forget the fellow's name a frenchman someone supplied the name blériot out of the darkness yes blériot that's it queer when you think of it nobody had any idea then what it would mean getting into cellars and hiding in the dark if they had he forced an attempt at a laugh they wouldn't have been so pleased no his neighbour agreed with him jocularly they wouldn't have been so pleased we thought we was all going to flap about like birds and instead the most of us go scuttling into holes like beetles what the cook's trying to stamp on that's flying for them as don't fly 
yes said william that's flying the beetle simile caught his fancy oddly and he found himself contrasting it with his old idea of a soldier after all the beetle warrior was a new development it was impossible to think of napoleonic heroes as beetles yet if they were alive they would have to scuttle too even murat the magnificent and nay the red lion when the next war comes his jocular neighbour was continuing every man that ain't in the r f c will be crawling at the bottom of a coal mine and i don't mind mentioning in confidence that if i saw a coal mine andy i wouldn't mind crawling down it now no said william for the sake of speaking i don't suppose you would he was trying to think of something further to say when he felt the man on his other side start perceptibly and stiffen in attention something caught at his throat and he could only whisper what is it he's stopping his engine said the other quietly and before william had time to ask what he meant the next bomb fell in the courtyard there was only one man wholly uninjured the terror-haunted wright who ran out splashed with other men's blood took screaming to his heels and collapsed a mile along the road there he lay till long after the bell of st nicholas had rung an all clear to the town until long after the ambulances telephoned for from the hospitals outside had loaded up in the streets across which cordons had been drawn by military police and french firemen men and fragments of men were taken from the ruins some speedily some after much search and among them private tully past terror but breathing still alive but only alive he spoke but a few times after the explosion had broken him and the men who lifted him on a stretcher to the ambulance and out of it could see that he suffered not at all the shifting and handling that was torture to others left his maimed and mauled body unaffected the injury to the spine that was killing him had bereft him of the power of pain as well as of the power of movement and in the hospital where a few minutes drive from the ruins landed him he lay quietly alive for a day or two for the most part dumb and unconscious but with intervals of sense and lucid speech once in such an interval he whispered to the nurse that his wife too was buried in france whereby she saw that he knew he was about to die later he asked that someone would write to edith haynes and tried to explain who she was no relation just a lady i know i should like her to hear the last person he spoke to was a chaplain a young man making his round of the ward who seeing intelligence in the pale blue eyes bent over the bed to ask if there was anything he wanted the chaplain had been warned by a sister that here was a hopeless case and he spoke very gently and bent very low for the answer it drifted out faintly in a slow and expressionless whisper no thank you said william i don't seem to have been much good but there comes a time when nothing matters not even asked the chaplain feeling his way the sense that you have done your duty most people do that said william the question is if you've been much use when you've done it the chaplain puzzled said something of infinite mercy and the standard of god not being as the standard of man if you've done your best he suggested most people do that said william again and slid back once more into silence he was buried without mourners save those detailed for the duty who none the less stiffened in salute of his coffin and called him farewell on the bugle his death duly entered in the hospital books was reported to the casualty department and the graves registration clerks took note of his burial and filed it for possible inquiries End of chapter eighteen
recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of william an englishman by cicely hamilton